our responsibilities don't stop when the clock hits 5 p.m. We can't sleep if there's a natural disaster. And one example of that happened during Hurricane Maria, which impacted Puerto Rico and presented a new challenge. It very, it debilitated the power grid in a way we hadn't seen before. And I think that that has also been a challenge to maintain public trust in all of the efforts that we're doing to respond to not just one disaster, but so many different kinds of disasters, wildfires, floods, tornadoes. It happens year round and the public may not know about it, but the work has never stopped for us. The Purple Line is a community podcast, bringing you in-depth conversations with diverse leaders in the public and private sectors. Whether you're a student looking to gather advice or a professional tuning in for valuable resources, our dynamic programming provides tips for all ages and backgrounds. I'm your host, Keith Fernandez, and this is The Purple Line. Born and raised in South Florida, Alejandro Alba is a public affairs specialist at FEMA's Office of External Affairs in Washington, D.C., he analyzes news and social media to inform agency administrators and program officials how well FEMA's programs address public needs before, during, and after disasters, such as COVID-19, Hurricane Maria, and the recent East Palestine, Ohio train derailment. He also contributes as a spokesperson on FEMA's Instagram channel, helping the Latino community and general public understand FEMA's functions and services. He has been published in TheHill.com, served as president of the National Security Education Program Alumni Association, and completed his master's degree at Georgetown University's Security Studies Program. Alejandro Alba, thank you for joining us on The Purple Line, talking about a little bit of everything, education, your work at FEMA, what it means to be a Chile alumnus, and more. So first of all, how are you doing? Thank you for joining us on what is a cold and dreary day in Washington, D.C. It is, but you know, I, there's no way I'd rather be right now than with you guys. It's been a long time since I've seen the Chile Familia, so it's always good to come back and, and see you guys. And I'm loving the new office. You guys have your own place to record this podcast. It's amazing. I know. It's crazy, right? I mean, it, it's a big step up from when no, I was an intern during the Cretaceous period. So I'm really, uh, I'm excited about it. Just to dive into it, tell us a little bit about your career journey, you know, your time as a Chile intern, how you got connected with FEMA and what that work means to you now. Yeah, yeah, sure. So for context, for those who may not know, I did my fellowship back in spring 2014. And actually, I found out about Chile a week before the application deadline. I was in my alma mater's library and I was just trying to find different jobs and internships and fellowships. And I came across Chile. And I saw the deadline was approaching, so I, was, I got on the horn with my, the person who gave a recommendation letter. That was probably the fastest application I ever wrote. <laughs> and I ran across the White House to the office to turn it in right before the program coordinator at the time was about to lock the door. Wow. So that was pretty fortuitous, but it worked out. In that semester, I got to intern with Congressman Henry Cuellar. He's from Texas District 28. So that was for half of the semester. The other half was with Justin Kissinger, who was at Heineken USA. So that's not a bad setup after Congress oh, to go to Heineken USA, yeah. right? <laughs> but it was great. You know, like I had not interned on the Hill before, and I did not really know how the private sector intertwined with public policy. So it was amazing that after one semester, Chile fellows like myself could learn about that whole process and have an active role in helping formulate, understand, and analyze public and foreign policy throughout any given time period. That, that's amazing. And then now you've taken a different step in your career out of Heineken, which is unfortunate for someone like me. <laughs> yeah, just a bit. And now you're 
responding to natural disasters, literally. Tell us a little bit about your work at FEMA. Tell us how you are responding to really all of the community's needs and how your Chile internship prepared you for that. It is, I'm not gonna lie, since 2016 when I first joined FEMA as a public affairs specialist, the agency has, uh, the agency stock has gone up each and every year. And I think that's because with every administration that comes into the White House or in Congress, the priorities change. And so I've seen the agency take on so much more work than at the time in 2016 when we were responding to a lot of traditional natural disasters. It is a very busy time year round, especially when we were responding to non-traditional threats like COVID-19. That was an all-hands on-deck effort that was a nationwide major disaster declaration. And it was new for a lot of us, right? Like that isn't the typical hurricane wildfire that we would respond to. But just as a testament to, you know, that nowadays a place like FEMA is a very timely, critical place if you want to be an emergency manager and take care of diverse communities, including Latinos, who more often than not, unfortunately, can be relatively more impacted by these natural disasters, and it can take a long time for them to recover. So I've loved it. I've had to do multiple roles from digital content to working with our congressional affairs team, pulling out to the field to work with reporters on the ground. It was the right fit for me to start out in public policy. That's awesome. And, you know, one thing I've really wondered about FEMA, it's always been kind of straightforward, like responding to a natural disaster, but you're at the footprint of the agency, at least in the minds of the public, seems to have really grown and expanded. COVID's a great example. How have you seen the agency's external facing footprint change over time? And do you think the public is expecting more of the agency or do you think it's just more front and center now because people are paying more attention because they're connected via, you know, Twitter or, you know, just watching the news? It feels like there's a lot more FEMA in the news, but I guess in a good way for because they're responding to natural disasters. Yeah. Well, so Keith, unfortunately, when Hurricane Katrina hit, that's when the agency's reputation really took a downturn for justified reasons, right? So it's been very difficult to change this narrative that we even see in pop culture and in media. They will refer to FEMA in a negative way as if suggesting that what are we going to do, right? I think to be fair in my experience, FEMA employees, not just at headquarters, but in all of our different regions and joint field offices, they are arguably some of the best public servants, hardworking individuals I've ever met because our responsibilities don't stop when the clock hits 5 p.m. We work during federal holidays, during weekends, during extended hours because, you know, the country, we can't sleep if there's a natural disaster. And one example of that happened during Hurricane Maria, which impacted Puerto Rico and presented a new challenge. It very, it debilitated the power grid in a way we hadn't seen before. And I think that that has also been a challenge to maintain public trust in all of the efforts that we're doing to respond to not just one disaster, but so many different kinds of disasters, wildfires, floods, tornadoes. It happens year round and the public may not know about it, but the work has never stopped for us. And to your point, I think the the, the workload that we're receiving is we are getting a lot more work. And I think it's because we have tried to make better strides to reinstill public trust that the White House is depending on us a lot more to make sure that we are taking care of individuals in their greatest time of need. And I think that that may also because 
not all federal agencies may have the resources and the quick capabilities that we can have when it comes to coordinating a federal response. So I think it's probably going to continue for the near future, but we welcome that opportunity and we're always adapting and changing to, to face disasters now and in the near future. So in this case, more work is a good thing. It depends on how you look at that. You yeah. know, more work is good so we can tell our story. Yeah. I think that's how I put it. But it's also a challenge because there have been concerns from some of our congressional board members about is the agency well staffed to take on an increasing number of disasters? Yeah. I would say, and a lot of my coworkers in the agency would say that we are very dynamic, which is true. But I think eventually we're going to have to really evaluate what needs to be done collectively as a federal government to making sure that we can integrate different federal agency employees with what we do to make sure that we can respond. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And one of the things that you really touched on was bringing up how to have a collective response, something strategic. And I think one of the things that stands out to me about the Chile internship is you've got now congressional, you've got corporate, you really have to learn to work with a lot of different kinds of people and drive towards the same goal. How has that skill set benefited you in coordinating across, I imagine, agencies, congressional interests, state or local agencies? Like, it seems like there's a whole mess of folks you always got to get going in the right way to help people. So how has learning the skill set of getting all the right folks in the room, driving toward a common goal and ensuring interests are aligned benefited you and hopefully benefited the folks that you're serving? I think you hit the nail on right on the head. It's very similar to how Chile teaches its fellows the intersection of public sector and private sector. We had a former administrator, Brock Long, at the agency during the Trump administration, and he would frequently tell news media and us inside the agency that emergency preparedness is like a four-legged stool, right? You have the federal government, you have state and local government partners, you have the individual, you and I, and you have the private sector and our non-government partners. And I think that's a very good way to teach someone who is trying to get involved in emergency management or even any kind of public policy, that it's not just federal or local government, that the private sector has just as much a responsibility and an effective role as a federal government has. So I think that's really encouraged me from the get-go to understand what are the different non-government organizations that we work with after a disaster, like American Red Cross, Salvation Army? Are there any private sector organizations that we can work with to help reestablish connectivity after disaster, like AT&T, T-Mobile, Phone, and, and, yeah. and other utility companies? And I think that in, in the context of Chile, when I was at Heineken, I was trying to understand in the wine and spirits industry, how is... Heineken approaching different kinds of legislation that may affect its industry, whether it has to do with taxes, trade, export, import, distribution. It was totally new to me. But for anyone who's trying to get involved in public policy, you, you have to understand that this is, it's much bigger than just you and beyond the federal government. So that was a very helpful lesson that I learned to help me transition seamlessly into FEMA. Yeah, and I mean, now that you mentioned thinking outside the room, you've really thought outside the room. You went and got your master's. You are one of the first two recipients of the uh, Wendy Martinez Scholarship. You know, tell folks who are Chile interns, other folks who might be listening, how important has it been to get that, you know, sort of second leg of the educational stool, to borrow the administrator's metaphor there? And how important has it been to continue learning outside the four walls of your office? Not that that's not important, but especially when you're still a young professional, what benefits did you derive from getting that master's degree, being able to get to hopefully that next step of strategic thinking? That's a great question. So first off, rest her soul, Wendy Martinez was, I think she embodied 
the type of individual that almost all Chile fellows would want to be like. And I say that not just professionally in the work that she did, but also as a person. I remember she spoke at the first Chile Gala that I got to be a part of, and she was representing and announcing the Alumni Association. So when I heard about this scholarship, I was doing my master's at Georgetown University. And I think that she was the best person we could have selected to represent us, not just today, but in decades from now. And I always look forward to carrying on that legacy. But I think it's two ways that it helped me. First off is obviously financially. This is a very difficult time we're in economically. And when you're a student with loads of tuition and you're trying to take care of your family and friends and even yourself, having that scholarship was one less thing to worry about so I could focus more on the studies and other things that I had to do. But I think that it's also a testament that groups like Chile not just invest in in the fellows' experience on Capitol Hill, but they're offering to help us even after we finish that fellowship. That kind of a return on investment, I don't see from other organizations as much. I know we have a lot in this city, we have a lot around the country, but when I found out about it, I was like, that is a wonderful idea in the spirit of service, in Wendy's memory. And I'm sure we all feel similarly that the goal would be to eventually extend this opportunity for other individuals who do this program, who want to continue pursuing higher levels of education. So I'm just very thankful for the Alumni Association, for you, Keith, and the team for putting that together so we can make it long lasting. You are listening to the Purple Line podcast. We would like to take this moment to thank the sponsors of the Chile Global Leaders Internship Program, the Coca-Cola Foundation, Comcast, Altria Client Services, Ford Motor Company, The Home Depot, Walmart, UPS Foundation, Televisa Univision, McDonald's Corporation, and Cortiva AgriScience. Thank you. I think that's absolutely right. And no, it's only because of the great encouragement of, you know, Lincoln and Marianne and everyone else that we've been able to get this off the ground. And, you know, you took the words right out of my mouth. We're, we're trying to extend the award amount and we're trying to extend the, <laughs> listen, more money is always good. And we're also trying to ensure that this is a permanent source of funds for, for years to come. I think that one of the biggest questions I get is around career paths from, you know, Chile alumni and current interns and really everyone in between, right? And when you started as an intern, like, did you know you were going to end up at FEMA? Did you, was this part of the roadmap? Like, how did that happen? Yeah, you're you're shaking your head no for listeners. So I guess that means no. So, So how'd you go from here to there? And what does that tell somebody else about how their career path will probably unfold? So the best way I can sum up what I'm about to say is one of our corporate board members, he's now with Barclays, Ray Dempsey. He once explained to me how every person's trajectory to where they eventually want to be is not going to be straightforward. You're going to have so many detours. (laughs) And my example was no different. I did undergrad at American University. And then for the Those four years, I had it in my head, I was going to be this amazing diplomat as soon as I graduated, going to State Department, I'm using my Chinese and China or East Asia. Come to find out that I was working two jobs as a a server just at your common restaurant. Yeah. (laughs) So that was a bit of a humbling experience and a bit of a wake-up call for me to, you know, really get down to grinding. So after I finished this fellowship with Chile, I spent about a year and a half more working in different kinds of positions until one of my friends at the time told me about the position that I'm working now within FEMA. And I had no expectation that I was gonna do emergency management. I mean, like I said before, FEMA had a very difficult reputation to rebuild from back from after 2004. But I loved it because this position has taught me to 
work dynamically and opened me to so many experiences in government that are easily translated into where I would eventually like to go, which is foreign affairs, foreign policy. Still working toward, you know, foreign affairs role within the government. I'm very content where I am right now, but it's, it, that isn't the end journey. There's a lot of things that we do in our everyday job, right? Skills that we learn that we eventually want to apply in the future. And that may not be in the next job that we take, but it can always be used in the future, just we're just staying ready to apply those new skills. That's awesome. Last serious question, any words of advice that you would give to younger folks who are, again, either interns or, you know, just thinking about applying? What did you learn as a Chile intern that you've been able to take and build on and just make a hallmark of your career? Yeah, well, I mean, the first bit of advice is that if you're listening or watching this podcast and you haven't applied to the Chile Fellowship, then what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> you're the you first know? person that said that. That's the best piece of advice. It's been a whole season. You know, what can I say? I'm a bit of a company man. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm for it. I'm for it. Good, good. Yeah, you yeah. even wore the pin. Yeah, you know, got to represent. Got it, got it. So I think I'd break this down into two different segments. One is for the listeners who are currently in college, and the other is for those who are just recently graduating or outside of college. The first one I'd say is that if you are in college, please work and, and connect with your student advisor and career advisor. See if you can connect with alumni who have the same interests that you have. And I say that because that is something that I didn't do enough when I was in college. I was pretty lax. I did not think of the long term or what I was going to do after. And life hit me. Relying on those school connections that you are paying for as a student yeah. is very important. And also taking advantage of any summer fellowships that can occupy your time, get you recognition, help you make new skills, new friends, new connections. Maybe it's in a different city than where you're going to school. It's, it's all about growing your network. We all know the phrase, your network is your net worth. So that's just a couple of tips for in school. Once you finish school, the best pieces of advice I can give are read as much as you can about things you're passionate about. My bread and butter has been personal finance and investing. I try to soak in as much as I can, as well as foreign policy affairs. The other one is travel as much as you can. If you have the means and you can, absolutely, it's a great way to open up your mind, meet new people, and if you're interested in international affairs, that can prepare you to take on a job in that, in that way. The other one is trying to find a side hustle. I think in this kind of an economy, we're all trying to reach some level of financial independence and not all of us are doing the things we, we would want to do. So the earlier that we can start to find a hobby that we're passionate about and eventually think about how we want to maybe monetize it, it it's a trend that I think we're all seeing today. It's not just the nine to five job, but we're wanting to do more. And I'd say the other one is just, just keep on refining your resume. Think of it like spring cleaning. Yeah. Even myself every year, I'm always looking at my resume just to see, you know, where can I improve here or what skill sets am I missing that I need to do more to improve. And then just overall, this isn't exactly a skill, but as you get older, you know, the people that you care about and you love, just, just remind them you love them and keep yourself healthy, maintain a healthy lifestyle. Cause you know, it isn't worth it if you're not there to see the fruits of your labor and you're not there to celebrate it with the people you care about. So above all, you know, just make sure you love yourself and those around you. That That's awesome. I feel like I have a lot of my to-do list now. Just, I, <laughs> we all do, though. Like, 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 like yeah, seven yeah. of those things. Like, I got to do that now. All right. So transitioning to hopefully more personal but fun questions, rapid fire quickly. What's your favorite movie? Depends what genre. Well, I mean, you could pick any genre. Star Wars. That was oh, the first one that came to it, mind. Love it. Love it. And I was telling Nicole here in the staff that I still have Anakin's 
blue lightsaber from when I was in high school. I still carry that thing. I mean, but that's the love of my commitment to that franchise. I love it. it it's great. I mean, and now you've got a whole universe on the man with the Mandalorian and everything else. Yeah. So, What's yeah. yours? Oh gosh, Jurassic Park probably or Clue. Really? Yeah. I wouldn't have thought that. Oh yeah, I know. I always get a nerdy one. But I feel like Jurassic Park doesn't get that much attention anymore. Oh, what do you mean? It's a classic. Well, there you are. It's a you know it's amplified. A if, if you're watching, I know. listen to the podcast. Go watch Jurassic Park. I, I know. I know. No, hey, it's mash that like button. And then <laughs> let's see. All right. So favorite part of your morning routine? Of my what? Morning routine. Oh, working out. Yeah, working out and making my breakfast. That's how I get myself level and set myself up for the new day. Man, I've been. I should be getting up earlier than I have been recently, but it just helps me like bring my thoughts together and then tackle new day. Yeah, totally. And then favorite book you've read recently or not so recently? So I'm actually reading a book called Emotional Intelligence by Gil Hassan. And that's a book focused on psychology and how to control our emotions, but also use them to make a positive impact in the workspace and also in our professional lives. You know, th these, these psychology books, man, like I wish we learned more about them when we were younger to, you know, help us understand what are we feeling, yeah. either in our own lives or in the workspace. But it's, you know, it's, it's really helped me just get perspective about myself and everything happening around me. I love it. It's, it's awesome. It's incredible. Yeah, it's, for so many, I mean, you know, I think we probably grew up around the same time and it was kind of verboten to talk about anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, and, and now it's great because everyone is like, oh, you know, this is why I'm feeling how I feel and this is what motivates my behavior. Like, where was that 20 years ago? It, you know, especially for guys. Yeah. You know, yeah. If, you, if you live in a household where you were taught to suppress those emotions, it was looked at like, man, you're weak. Yeah. And now it's like, nah, man, like you can talk about it. Like we're, we're adults. We're all trying to, you know, get by one day at a time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you've got a broken leg you say you got a broken leg if you know you're feeling something you should say it absolutely yeah, and not just dust it off and get back out no no I know. hey sometimes that works too i mean it yeah. it's a scale a sliding scale <laughs> and then since you brought up travel favorite travel destination you've either been to or want to go to can i choose three sure why not okay so on the western hemisphere i loved Peru. Okay. i know it's right now obviously very difficult because of the political situation but i'm a guy who loves backpack traveling yeah, yeah. and peru was such a fun destination to go to if you're going to Africa, Morocco was yeah. amazing because if you go to the desert hills at night, man, you can just see the stars light up at night. You've never seen something like that here in the States. Yeah. And then lastly, Iceland, amazing place to go to. I think there's more sheep than humans there, actually. Not kidding. But you can see the Northern Lights and they have a black sand beach where there's a deserted U.S. Navy plane just deserted on a black sand beach. It's, it's very bizarre, but it's so cool to see that stuff. I've got to go to all these places. I've traveled quite a bit and still haven't made any of them. So this is on my 2023 list. And I hope for the listeners, it is on your list too. So Alejandro Alba, thank you for walking on the purple line and hoping that you have a much sunnier end to this dreary DC day. Yeah, thank you guys. And thanks a lot to the Chile Alumni Association for all the work you do and the Chile organization. You guys do an amazing job. And thank you for having me today. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for listening to The Purple Line. You can follow me at underscore Keith Fernandez on Twitter. And make sure to follow Chili across all social media platforms at The Chili for the latest updates.